So someone else whose talks are music and poetry, and sometimes music literally, someone who gets us in touch with our whole self every week, and if you have just been waiting to come and get your spiritual fix, you will get it this morning. Please welcome Dr. Patrick Cameron. Oh, I do need that, right? Good morning. We have our, a hollyhock from our trash area behind. I figured it was the last hurrah for the hollyhock, so I took a piece, but don't tell Colleen who planted it that lives behind us. And we have our dahlias from our front yard. Laura and I decided to share them because they were, uh, we had an abundance of them, and there's more coming next week, as a matter of fact. So what I'd invite you to do is join me in a affirmative prayer. Right now, we're going to sing a song, and if you'd like to, I know some of you are more comfortable standing as we do this, and if you are, please feel free to stand. If not, you can stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. Oh, Spirit, one Spirit is in this very So I invite you to join me in the opening of our hearts and our souls and our beings. And I find for me the breath is one pathway for that. And so as we breathe in this moment, and I invite you to take a deep breath and let it out. in the remembrance and the recognition of this one life, this one power for good, this one presence that is indescribable but felt. That life, that vibration is your life, my life. It is the presence of spirit. And for each of us, it shows up in different ways because for each of us, we listen differently and we perceive differently and we feel differently but it is there always for us and so we come together today in celebration and to stand in the grace and the humility the forgiveness of ourselves and others and any beliefs that we carry with us that restrict our participation and, and connection and listening deeply to that presence whatever it is it has no import here for this perfect moment is the only moment. It is the eternal moment. It is this thought, this next thought, that is our most potent opportunity to shift and change and to think new. And so I just give thanks knowing that we are guided in the spaces between the notes of the music today 
between the words that are spoken where we are being informed and done unto and transformed whatever there is within us that is seeking wholeness healing vibrancy balance and health I know and affirm for myself that that is unfolding as we gather today in a most powerful way because this, the power of the swarm is so beautifully apparent coming together where two or more are in agreement it is done and so what I offer myself to you this day is a yes a yes to your greater good a, a yes to your deep healing a yes to the transformation of the conditions in your life based on that that intention that you said and I said and so as we come together in agreement of the highest and best expression of life it is already done in the mind of the one and the shifting and changing that must take place within my consciousness or your consciousness for that to be made manifest is happening right here and right now this is the only thing that requires our attention in this moment to continue to reach for the highest thought as we spend our time together and then make that our daily practice our moment by moment practice for this I give thanks I give thanks for the declaration I give thanks for the wonderful teachers who have given us gifted us this beautiful information, this beautiful spiritual community. And may we carry that baton of consciousness forward wonderfully, powerfully, and beautifully. For this I give thanks, and I welcome your affirming with me, and so it is. Well, welcome, welcome. It's always so great to be here. It was fun last week for me to be here and, and sort of drink it all in when Reverend Dr. Christian Sorensen and Carl Anthony were with us. I'm going to invite someone up this morning to share with you a bit of her experience with, with the, in the community um, and, uh, because I think it's helpful for us to hear others' stories because a lot of times we feel isolated. A lot of times we feel like we're, we're on this path alone. And so I'm going to well, uh, welcome Christine Madsen to come forward. This is sec Christine's second time today. She, she and her husband Dave have stayed behind to do this with us. And so I want to thank you so much for your willingness to be with us. And, All my free for, hugs. Yes, <laughs> and, and your free hugs. So what I, I wanted to um, ask you once again is just to talk about a little bit about what brought you to the community, how you found us, and... and uh, uh, I mean, initially, geographically, how you found us. Because sometimes I'll ask people that, and they'll go, oh, I found it great. And, uh, you know, okay. so that context of... <laughs> well, I was actually thinking about it. Um, after we talked about it this morning, I was talking to my mother-in-law before she left, and I've been looking for a center um, for, I think, since I was a little kid, like probably six or seven, because I went to a church with a friend of mine who was Pentecostal. And so, and then at university, I went to another church and had different experiences, but I just never felt like I'd found home. So... How I came across the center here was just talking. I told a friend that I was looking for something, and she told me about the place. And, and then I came, and right from week one, I knew that I had finally come home. Beautiful. And so what has changed for you since you've come to the community that you've noticed in your life? Oh, Dr. Patrick, um, actually, everything's changed. I think you know um, that Dave and I were going through a really tumultuous time when we found exciting this time in, in November and it really just gave me the bearings to to feel grounded through all that and to be positive and just accept it what was happening and just going forward I think every day is like this is my um, my nourishment for my soul I say on, on Sundays and then just kind of gets me going for the rest of the week so just my grounding and so from that and what you see opening or, or shifting and changing for you uh, what do you see, what are the intentions that you see emerging in terms of possibility and, and for your own life, for you and Dave? And 
Well, it, it's endless possibilities, really, because I just think, um, you know, we took the one little class, um, Prosperity Plus, and that was very enlightening, and it just it was kind of opened the doors to, I think, this whole community to me, because I think um, I just had a sense of community going to the class, you know, afterwards, and we went to the gala, and all of a sudden, I just really felt like we belonged. We weren't just coming here every Sunday. But just the education that we got out of that class, so I guess going forward, I'm looking forward to more classes in the immediate future and just, I can't imagine in six months how things have changed, what it's gonna look like going forward. So thank awesome. you for that. Oh, you are most welcome. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Christine Madsen. And once again, I just think it's important to share our story. Our, our community really is our story. And if, and if lives are not being changed and enhanced in a meaningful way, then, then really we're missing our purpose. And so I really appreciate that. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I know that Carolyn Collins shared with us, and it was quite beautiful. And, and Christine, thank you for your sharing today, um, because it just reminds all of us. We can all identify with our stories. You know, for us, it's, it's, we, we can become very um, uh, locked into the, the, the race consciousness out there, the cultural conditioning and the ideas that are expressed before us. And so I wanted to talk about two, two ideas today that I think can be uh, beneficial in terms of, of insight and, and moving forward in practice. One is the idea, uh, some ideas around meditation, and the other one is around the ideas of belief. And so when I, uh, the title of the talk today that um, I selected was based on a quote by Dr. Martin Luther King when he was incarcerated in the Birmingham jail uh, during one of the marches. And he was placed there. And, of course, Dr. King was one of the movers and shakers of making a difference in the world around uh, equality for people of color. And what he wrote as he was in the Birmingham jail was, he said, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. And so the, the, the title I selected today is Thermometer or Thermostat. In other words... When we, you and I show up somewhere, are we just simply absorbing the existing conditions? Are we reading the newspaper and saying, oh my gosh, this is just the, you know, this is the, this is the conditions that exist and feeling uh, helpless in the face of that or feeling like, well, there's nothing I can do. And, and so I believe that deep and powerful and meaningful spiritual practice is really about understanding who we are because we're the thing itself. And, and none of us are stuck unless we believe we're stuck. We, see, we, the, the easy part of this is we only have one person to convince. You never hear me say, now go out and, and the lesson that I've given you, you go out and convert somebody. Stand in front of 7-Eleven for a few hours this week and hand out brochures and bring somebody back with you this week. See, we, we don't operate that way. Because I don't know about you, but I've got my hands full convincing myself of what it is that I would like to move into in a bigger way. And so we are... And, and, and the church, spiritual community is what he's referring to, has always been a touchstone. That the church for Dr. King was very, very important in his evolution and his, his standing tall in the face of a lot of people that said, you know, we, we must get rid of this guy, which eventually did happen. Because he, he challenged the status quo so much. But he realized that, that to live in this, this state of inequality based on, on race was just a, an idea, a belief whose time had come to be transformed. And so he also talked about how important it was that not only to, to instigate 
and to enforce laws that would allow opportunity for people because he realized that that was not what it was about. It was really about shifting and changing people's hearts, the capacity to be together in love. And so that's still our challenge as I see it and as I read the current events. There's still a bias around this even though now it's no longer, it's no longer um, uh, institutionalized. The, the, the prejudice used to be institutionalized by laws. Now it's no longer institutionalized by laws, but it's still institutionalized by people's hearts. And so, and I'm not placing judgment on it, but when you look at the restrictions that people seem to express in their lives around uh, compassion and being open to other people, what it is is just simply that, that there's a block, there's a belief that they hold that is not allowing them to be more compassionate and more gracious because that's not a practice that many of us were immersed in growing up. Gandhi said, we must be the, the, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. And Gandhi, as a matter of fact, when, when Gandhi, there were several moments in Gandhi's life where he had significant choices to make. One of the things that he did, there were salt taxes in India when he was doing his ministry, when he was doing his, his thing. And the salt taxes were so oppressive that it was actually taxing people into starvation. They didn't even have enough money to buy food. And so Gandhi watched this, and what he did is he organized the march in protest and he started with 70 people and that grew to thousands of people by the, reach, the time they reached the end of the march was about 240 miles is my understanding but what it did in, in bringing together people around this, this, this the oppression of this is it it cracked open that institutionalized repression and that that enforced um, punitive form of financial taxation to the community and what it began to do was it began to shift the consciousness and people finally stood, took a stand and it, it started to crumble some of the, the, um, uh, the powers that be and the situations that were, were putting people, keeping people down. And so the world has been changed. It's always been changed by a small group of people. It's always been changed by people that, didn't, that looked at their belief system, looked at the current belief systems around there and said, you know what, I don't agree with this anymore. And that's how it's always been changed. Martin Luther King said that, he also said this, which I think applies very much to how we approach spirituality. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. In other words, as Dr. Holmes used to say, my good, there's no private good. My good is your good. When you are celebrating life, when you are living more in alignment with your, your divine purpose, when you are in the joy and the creativity and the freedom of life, it, it assists me and it, it assists everyone. And, and so it is, we are, we're, we're caught in this web of, as he said, of inescapable network of mutual, uh, mutuality. He continued, we are tied in a single garment of destiny. That's how important it is to be aware that we are tied in a single garment of destiny. And whatever affects one directly affects all directly. And so as we fine-tune ourselves as we listen more deeply, as we're more available to the energies of what's going on around us, then we're more, we, we perceive. But if we don't, haven't developed the discernment around belief, it can, it can take us off track. So it is to become grounded enough in the truth of our being so that when people show up and they're having an experience of limitation or lack or fear or distrust, we're able to stand with them and honor where they are in their beliefs, but not to agree with them. As it says in Scripture, where two or more in agreement, it is done. So when people come to me and they, start to, and they start trying to impress me with a limiting idea, I've learned how to listen without having to talk them out of it, but also to be able to look, at, look them in the eye and say, well, that doesn't represent my position. But it's taken me years and years and years to get to that point. And so we are, we are connected 
And, and the reason that we come together spiritually, I think, is to give birth to newness, which leads to transformation within community. So one of the practices that can be very beneficial that I think is essential to accelerating this knowing and this experiencing and this understanding is meditation. And so I, I brought with me a, a list of, of, uh, of, of qualities that are, I think, beneficial. I'm going to share with them with you. You don't need to write them down. If you'd like me to email them to you, I would be happy. I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. But meditation allows you and I to be our own authority in our own minds. Meditation allows you and I to be our own authority in our own minds. And I'm going to guide you in a meditation at the end of this so that you can see how simple and short this can be, but how important it is and essential it is. Meditation number one, I have 11 points, and as I say, I'll go through them quickly. It allows us to completely relax and often sleep better. Number two, it allows us to experience a sense of deep inner peace. Three, it can teach us to lower our blood pressure. Number four, it can teach us inner discipline. Number five, it can awaken our intuition. Number six, it can enable us to do affirmative prayer more effectively. Number seven, it can make us more perceptive. Number eight, it can give us boundless energy. Nine, it can teach us to be more accepting of self and others. Ten, it can be a great tension reliever. And eleven, and I love eleven, it is the highest form of celebrating the presence of God. It is the highest form of celebrating the presence of God. Now, what will happen when you start meditation, if you don't have a, a, a consistent meditation practice, is none of that stuff shows up. Because we have been so inundated, especially in the West, with this idea that, that what we need to know is all, always out there somewhere. That someone is always going to be uh, giving us what we need to know. There's nothing more vulnerable than that someone that is in need. Because when we're in need and we're looking for the answers, we'll buy we'll take, we'll do whatever it takes to find the answer. And if you, if you check the internet, there's something on there for all of us that are looking. Have you noticed? You know, uh, and, and, and I've done some of that, you know. Total enlightenment, to, total enlightenment in, in one weekend. For $1,595, you can come spend a weekend with us all that stuff, and it, you know, and people, and people do that stuff. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying that when what it represents is we're desperate. You know, I want peace of mind, and I want it now. I can spend fifteen hundred ninety-five dollars this weekend and get become totally enlightened, or I can start a, or I can sit in my living room for fifteen minutes a day and do a meditation, which will cost me nothing, but it might take me years. I'm going with the weekend. And then another weekend rolls. Well, I need one more weekend. Oh, you know, if I just get, how many more talks do you need before you, you, you jump into the practice? Just one more. Just one more. So what happens with our beliefs, I gotta, and I love this. this is, I pulled this up because I thought this was so appropriate. List of beliefs, scientific beliefs that we used to hold that are no longer true. Because beliefs are just beliefs. It's all they are. And we react the way we react in our, because uh, because we are always evaluating and judging. So when I, as a kid, don't we say to our parents, what's that? And, and of course, your parents will give you the definition of what that is. My dad would always not only tell you the name of what it was, but he'd always give you the editorial to explain why it was either good or bad. 
which was never what I was asking. I just wanted a name, but he wanted to make sure that I understood that that was either good or bad. So why do, I, why do you and I respond the way we respond to whatever it may be? And how can I change that response? Which I think is a very interesting question because that's our opportunity, but a lot of people don't feel like that. A lot of people feel like, I, this is what I believe, and therefore this is what's true. Well, maybe, but I think what it is is just a reflection of what you believe. So here's some stuff that used to be very popular and agreed upon. In 600 BC, the, the belief was that the earth was the center of the universe. And it wasn't until quite a while longer, 1543, a few years in there, that it, they finally realized that was not true. They used to believe that, that the theory of disease that the, the Greeks called misomatic theory was the, would cause the black death. The concept was not disposed of until the 1800s with the rise of germ theory of disease. Mis, it was called misama, misama, was considered to be a poisonous vapor or mist filled with particles from decomposed matter that caused illness. It was identifiable by its foul smell. Number three, luminiferous ethers, assumed to have existed for much of the 19th century, the theory held that the medium of ether pervaded the universe through which light could propagate. It wasn't until 1887 that it was proven to be otherwise. Ether is, just doesn't exist. Number four, stress theory of ulcers. They now know that ulcers are not caused by stress. Ulcers are caused by a bacteria. But for years, I mean, when, when I was young, and even I still hear people say, you know, I'm developing an ulcer. Well, you've got a bacteria. But that's a, that was a common belief. Number five, immovable continents. The continents were fixed. We now know that there's been continental drift. But it wasn't until a few hundred years ago where they finally had the research and the, uh, and the um, uh, ability to, to prove that otherwise. Phlogiston. In the 17th century, physicians conjured up the existence of a fire-like element called phlogiston, which was contained within combustible bodies and released during combustion. Charcoal, for example, left little residue upon burning because it is nearly pure phlogiston. Experiments in the mid-1700s led to chemists to conclude the theory was false, giving birth to the field of modern chemistry. Number seven, the four humors. I love this one. The body has four humors. And this was very popular up until the 19th century. The four humors were black bile, bile, yellow bile, phlegm, and blood. Those were the four uh, humors of the body. Number eight, the static universe. That the universe was, was not expanding, nor was it contracting. It was just standing still which we know now is not true. And then, of course, the world is flat, which people used to believe. And so it's just an example of how awareness and consciousness has evolved through science as well. So what beliefs do you and I carry? What are the things that you and I have that, that perhaps are outdated or not accurate anymore? I have been afraid of high places my whole life. When I was a little kid, we used to take a holiday and my parents would load the station wagon, all 11 kids, although we never all fit in there at the same time. I think somebody else had to drive. We'd go up to northern Minnesota. We would swat mosquitoes for seven days and try to find places to sleep in this cabin that my dad would rent. And we would take a hike one day to the ranger tower to look out and see the vista. 
and I could never make it to the top. When I was like four or five years old, I could never get up that high. I was always scared of high places. And so I could never figure out what this was. To this day, when I go to high places now, I, I know I'm safe, but I still don't enjoy it because there's something that happens in my physiology. My stomach gets a little uh, queasy and, I, and, and, and things come over. And so for me, is there anything wrong with high places? No, there's just something that I have a reaction to something. And I still don't know the core beliefs around it. I still don't know what triggers it, but I do know that as I've worked it, and I, so I have to take, be very mindful when I go somewhere high. I have to make sure I'm breathing, and I have to just watch how I'm reacting, and so I have to become very mindful. But there's something within me that triggers that, and, I'm not, and I still don't know the, the causation of it, but what I also know is it's, it's, it's a belief I have. When I was a little kid, it just put me into terror and fear. And now I realize, okay, I, I re react to it physically still, but I know that I'm safe. And, you know, some, you know, if I go somewhere high and I'll look, I'll look out, but I usually don't linger, you know, because it's just, and, and so whatever that is. But just because I've always had this experience, or just because you have a belief, you've always had a certain belief, does not make it right. What a healthy perspective requires us is to question right and wrong. And the beliefs that we have are exactly that, the beliefs. Exposing the ignorance and beliefs requires deliberate intention. George Bernard Shaw says, everything will happen to everyone eventually, given enough time. We will all have the same experiences eventually, given enough time. So if you haven't had a certain experience, it's coming, given enough time. He also said, I love this about George Bernard Shaw, he also said, Americans love me. And they'll love me as long as I don't say something nice about them. He said, if you line up all the economists on the planet, uh, toe to head, toe to head, all the way around, they still will not reach a conclusion. So I like that as well. So what we teach, what we teach here is, is metaphysical fundamentals. And metaphysical means beyond the physical. What we teach here is what life and truth of life are about. And so it's the things that you and I believe that are so important to examine and look at. And one of the ways to look at them more deeply is through meditation. We learn through meditation, self-dialogue, to discover what our beliefs are. What is it that I believe? What is it that I believe about heights? What is it that I believe about so-and-so? You know, last week I had a meeting scheduled with someone and I had, I had a whole list of, of complaints. And so I realized that this wasn't about that person, this was about me. And what I realized is it wasn't about going and having a meeting with this person so that I could, I could dump my junk on them. It was really about me understanding I had forgiveness work to do. And so I canceled the meeting because I didn't want to go there in that mindset. And then I went to my prayer chair and I did my forgiveness work around it. This has nothing to do with them, this has everything to do with you. And it was so freeing because it was the healthiest thing I could do. So I took responsibility for what my beliefs and my biases and my discernment and my judgments about this person were and say, obviously this person is mirroring qualities within, my, within myself that I'm seeing in them. And so I get to do my work and I thought, oh, thank God that, that, that I've had enough practice with this and I've had enough opportunities with this to be able to have the discernment to realize I've got to do some healing work around this. And the healing work is, is within myself. So what life is and what the truth of life and, and the challenge with the world in, in terms of looking at it and looking at conditions and looking at people running all over the planet trying to make things better 
is that we're not taught to use our, our mental initiative. Dr. Holmes said we must learn how to learn how to live is to learn how to think. And so the, the meditation practice can be so powerful because it gives us an opportunity to listen and, and to see what's bubbling up in us, to see what we're reacting to. See, it's easy to look into the race thought. It's easy to look out into the world and, and, and see what the world is telling us we should be. You know, I mean, I'm always fascinated, and I, I have my tribes that I root for in sports teams. You know, I grew up being an athlete, and I have allegiances to certain teams. But, but the, my allegiances have shifted and changed over the years. If my team isn't the champion, it doesn't reflect on my self-worth. I'm no longer a fan, which is short for fanatic. I don't derive my sense of well-being because my team has won the championship. I love watching achievement. I love watching the participation. And it always makes me happier if my team does well. But if it doesn't do well, the agreement I have, it, 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 they're just doing the best they, have, they can. And it's so much more fun. When I was in my early 20s, oh my gosh, you live and die with these guys. I just want to offer my compassion to those of you that are Eskimo fans and our fans. <laughs> but this too will change, right? This too will change. I mean, part of the beauty of this, part of all of it is watching the consciousness and the ability and the, and the, and the coming together of a group that has a, an intention in mind that develops expertise. I mean, we're sort of that way here, aren't we? Developing the consciousness that would, that would allow something greater to be expressed individually and collectively. It's the same thing. To walk out of here and say, oh, we haven't done this or we haven't done that and so we're no good. And, on. and That's silly. It's to celebrate the process. It's to realize that it's in, the, it's, it's in the developing of the consciousness. You know, I'm very big about the co-creation stuff, and someone came to me after between services and wanted to know this whole thing about the releasing prayer, because in the releasing prayer, you identify the error belief and the behavior that goes along with it. And they said, well, why would you do this? Why would you claim uh, uh, my belief in lack? And why would you want to, and then the behavior with lack would be worry. So I release my belief in lack, I release my belief in worry, and, I am, and I'm so grateful God is the abundance I am. He said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that, saying those words. And I said, well, that's the problem. Because you want to go right to the affirmative prayer, but you don't want to look at the end. So I'm, I'm afraid of heights. So probably a good releasing prayer for me to would believe, release my belief in, in my fear of heights, which always puts me in fear, which releases my need for fear. But if I don't release it to create space for something new, I continue to, to work in my mentality, and it doesn't descend into my soul and into the, the body of my affairs. And I have watched this over and over and over again for the last 25, 30 years. And I've watched people stay stuck. And so what I love about the co-creation, what I love about that is it's not saying the word is going to create more of it. It's saying the word is taking responsibility for what's alive in your life so that you can bring it forward and look at it long enough so it no longer has power over you. And then it's, so it's not about asking for more because more is already there. You've got as much as you can hold. But unless we do that work and have the courage to do it and, and don't use spiritual bypass to say, well, I'm just going to go to another affirmative prayer because I've watched people do that over and over and over again and there's never any shift. So, and you're welcome to do that if that's where you are. I'm just not doing it with you. You know, what good is a lot of knowledge if it's all wrong? And we're inundated with knowledge and opinions. I just, I want to be able to listen to my heart, my soul, and follow what I'm being guided to. And it's such a fine tuning, it's such a, a fine voice. But if I don't take time to slow down and listen to that, 
I'm just running around trying to make everybody happy. And that never works. See, it's easy to look into the race thought and, and decide, well, life happens to us. Look at all the stuff that goes on. You know, it's easy to look at the political system. You know, people ask me many times, what do you, where do you stand politically? Well, I think everyone should take responsibility for their lives. I like that. We're a perfect teaching for people taking responsibility for their lives, right? Okay, so take responsibility for your life, and if you want to have a certain condition in your life, go about developing the proficiencies and the consciousness and the skills and the abilities to develop that. But I also believe that people need help. And if people are starving, and if people need education, and people need to be pulled up by the bootstraps because they're not able to do it on their own, we should do that as well. So I, I see both sides of it. And the, the challenge for me is figuring out what's appropriate in each situation. But what you have, when you look at the my, my, my filtering of this, what you have in the political system is everyone should take care of themselves. I mean, in the United States, this is, this is why you don't have health care. You have it, but you have a watered-down version of it because there's a lot of people who say, nobody helped me, I got it on my own, and everybody else should have to get it on their own. And then you have the other side, this is we should help everybody. Let's take care of everybody. And I don't, know if either, I don't think either position shows the balance and the wisdom of what we stand upon because at some point in time, we want everybody to soar. We want everybody to fly. Because then when I'm, when I'm over here and I've got my needs met, I can be of more service in the world. But, so, but I, needed, I needed help in, in the early stages of my life, and I still need help. I still need community. I still need teachers. I still need mentors. So it's living in that balance. And what's, what's the responsibility I can take? So that's why when people ask me what I stand for, I just stand for good wherever it shows up. I want everybody to have opportunity. I want everybody to have a, a insight and wisdom, but I want everybody to be motivated and to be in touch with that, that place within them that can be so beautiful and wonderful, because, but we're so inundated with information from the outside. Of course it feels like we're being done unto. Of course, of course it can feel like we're helpless. The, the idea that life was prepared all the force that there's predestiny. Oh, well, this is the way it is. This way it's always going to be. Or we're always concerned about what will be. Trying to discover life outside of ourselves. And pretty soon, my experience with that is you just feel like you've accomplished something getting through one day. Whew, made it through Monday. I got to get to bed early because Tuesday's tomorrow. And get rested up. And we feel helpless. So what are the, what are the beliefs behind helpless? What is going on? What is it, what is, as I said earlier, what is, what is the good of a lot of knowledge when it's all wrong? I've got a lot of knowledge people give me, information. And it may or may not be true, but I've got to decide for myself if it's right for me. So meditation, it can allow us to develop inner discipline so that we don't run with every thought that comes across our mind's eye. So when something says we should be afraid of this, how much, are, are you, is your nature one of fear? And so it's not about that's bad and wrong, and I'm not asking one, anyone to show their hands, but, but if your nature is one of fear, that everything in the world is, is to be feared, then what is the belief behind that? And is that something that you want to continue to carry? That the world's a bad place? That the world, that there's people out there that will take advantage of you? If I, if I had an entrenched belief there were people out in the world that would take advantage of me, I would never leave the house. 
because that would be my belief. And then, of course, that would be my experience because I would, in that, in that consciousness, in that belief, I would keep bringing, inviting people by right of consciousness, by the vibrational tone of who I am, I would bring people into my experience to, to play that out with me. So I want to share with you, uh, uh, there's a tea shop in San Francisco. It is called the Samovar, S-A-M-O-V-A-R, Tea Lounge. And this is their mission that's on their wall when you walk in. And then I'm going to do a short meditation with you. Their mission is to create peace through drinking tea. To create peace through drinking tea. Isn't that cool? I want, I want to open a tea shop up here. Here at Samovar Tea Lounge. Anybody ever been to Samovar? We had a lady in the first service says, I love that tea shop. So why don't you raise your hand? Anyway. So we should, you know what? We should save money. After we go to Brasilia... We'll go to some of our tea shop one Sunday. What do you say? Well, I'll go down there and have some tea. So, and by the way, if you really feel like you've got to buy a ticket, you need to go buy a ticket now because I'm going to be doing the drawing right after. But I, I know that it's really interesting information, so you're torn. But I'll understand if you get up. Here at the Samovar Tea Lounge, it's never simply, simply business as usual. In other words, business isn't just a profit-making mechanism, but rather a vehicle for the greater good. A vehicle for the greater good. Making people feel good, feel healthy, and attain happiness is our bottom line. And challenging as it is, it's equally rewarding and fulfilling to see our guests beam with joy and express their heartfelt gratitude. What we do is an expression of our values, the high ideals, and the essence of the tea experience. And we thank you for joining us. Isn't that beautiful? What if you took that mission statement and adapted it to what you do? I bet you only 10 or 20% of you would get fired, but try it anyway. <laughs> then on the menu, and this is what I want to, I want to invite you to just simply join me in a meditation. Join me in a meditation for a couple of minutes here. It's just a couple of minutes, and you can do this meditation. This is something you can take with you everywhere you are. So I invite you to close your eyes, both feet on the floor, rest your hands on your lap. And if you have them open, it's just welcoming. You're not sharing, you're sharing the energy with everyone. And so on the menu in this tea shop, this is what it says. Slow down and sip some tea. Let this delicious cup of tea take you away from everything, filling you with calm and vitality. Let this infusion connect you to the farmer who handpicked the leaves, the Samovarian who brewed the pot and to your breath in this moment. Listen to your heartbeat and in your mind's eye, look around. Who do you care about? Who do you care about? And who cares about you? What else matters? Not much actually. Can you slow down enough to see your life and touch the world and those people who love you? Can you slow down enough to see your life and touch the world and the people that love you? That's a meditation. So when you're ready, please feel free to open your eyes.
But that's meditation. You don't have to have a prayer chair in your home. But what if this week you tried it one time when you're out having a cup of coffee or go somewhere and have a great cup of tea or whatever it may be. Or maybe you are at home and you're sitting at your own table. But it's a beautiful practice. And you know what? When you're sitting there in the love, because what you're creating is that love of unconditional love for others and appreciation, they get it. It's not private. They get it. Dr. Martin Luther King said it, writing from the Birmingham jail. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. So when you're thriving, when you're living in love despite the conditions and despite what the world's telling you, because all of us can love in this moment. Someone has loved us. Someone loves us. And we care about someone else. That's a meditation. That is so powerful. The first service, a siren went by, and I'm always reminded every time I hear a siren, my teacher, Reverend Catherine Yates, would always remind us, let us know for them that they have everything they need. Uh, what a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful thought to extend to the world. Otherwise, we spin and, oh my God, I hope everybody's okay. I hope nobody's hurt. I hope nobody's... And so we're dwelling upon all of this, this fear and worry. And so to extend, offer our love unconditionally wherever it is. And do it, do it and, and so maybe your meditation is that practices only two minutes a day and eventually becomes four minutes a day. Whatever it is. And, and I think we sh- sell ourselves short how powerful and impactful that can be. Laura and I just moved to a new home and, and we're right across a, a park. And we have just, we, I, I still feel like we're house sitting. It is such a lovely setting. And watch people go by on their bikes and roller and skateboards and walk all day long. It's such a beautiful meditation. The other thing I've set an intention for the day is that I'm going to find the box that my socks are in eventually. (laughs) So I appreciate your support because I'm getting low. I'm getting tired of washing the two pairs that I do have at the moment every day. But... But it's, environment is so important, and so are we the thermostat or are we the ther- thermometer? Do we bless the environments when we walk in and the room is full of love and the full of uh, this, un- this, this vibrancy of joy, as Dr. Christian Sorensen expressed last week. He said, what a loving community you have. And so when you walk in, do you, do you add to that? Or maybe you need your cup filled, but you participate in it. But I think many, many of us recognize it so clearly, and all of a sudden we want to share more of it. So it's a beautiful thing. And we can all have more meaningful spiritual practices in our lives. We can all slow down and sip the cup of tea. Listen to our heartbeats. Listen to what's being, what's being stirred within us. And when we have something that triggers us to, to be able to look at it and say, what's the belief beneath this? Why do I feel the way I feel about this? And is this right or wrong? And do I want to continue this? And, and then we're awake and alive to what's happening. And then we're choosing. We are a tradition of choice. We're never stuck. And it's always a continuum of growth. It's always the the, the newness that wants to be expressed because it's our nature. Not because we have to, but because it's the invitation we've been given. Jesus said it years ago, I've come so that you may have life more abundantly. And more abundantly. And I like that. I like that scripture. I'm for the abundance of life, but abundance is now. Abundance is a a way of being. It's not about a bank account. It's not about the exterior feeding it. 
That's part of it. But it's really about this feeling tone of friendship and happiness and peace and joy, intimacy. They say that one of the interesting things about people that want to be happy, that the more that they make being happy their priority, the less happy they are. The more that happiness is their priority, the less happy they are. Because once again, it speaks to this idea that it's out there somewhere. When the happiness comes from relationship, it come, and, and with ourselves and with others, when the, the happiness comes from meaningful interaction and having a, 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 an interaction in life and with ourselves that is inspiring. What inspires you and keeps you inspired? That's what I'm interested in. That's what Dr. Holmes was interested in. That's what all the great teachers are interested in. And when we live an inspired life, it's wonderful. It's a contagion. Just as depression can be in a contagion, inspiration can be a contagion. And so thank you for your inspiration. Thank you for the things that continue to happen here and in, in your individual lives. Thank you, Christine, for sharing your story, coming through the door and the willingness to step up here and say, you know, my life is shifting and changing. But it's not a quick fix. It's a way of life. So I look forward to hearing about your meditations next week. And so it is. <laughs>